Hello everyone and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. It's me again, Harper Anderson. I don't know if it ever will not be me, Harper Anderson, right? After all, it is my podcast. But I'm back again for another week of Latter Day Takes. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I appreciate it. It was an awesome conference weekend that we're coming off of. So on today's pod, we've got two segments that we're going off of because part of my issue is that I do have a lineup of guests that I want to get to that I've already talked to in some cases and things like that, and I just haven't been able to make time necessarily, and I understand that it's me not making them a priority, but things are busy at work, right? This is the busiest time of the year for me because we are doing a big political push for all our clients, right? It's election season. We're going to know in a month how this turns out, right? So anyway, or technically a little bit more than a month. I think it's November 8th, but anyway... um, so I do what I can here, and this is one of those versions of me just doing what I can, and so I'm flying solo again. I hope you appreciate it. We have a conference recap. That's the main segment, and that's actually going to be kind of a gospel segment as well, so there's only going to be two segments. I'm not going to do the finishing off with uh, gospel talk, things like that. So the news of the week is going to entail some pretty interesting stuff, I think. There's a, there's a big celebrity breakup in our midst. Um, there's an interesting... Uh, thing going on with Kanye West and Candace Owens kind of making the waves. And then there's this rom-com, this gay rom-com called Bros, and that's making the news, right? And so I want to talk about that. And then, of course, to kind of finish out kind of the lightheartedness, so to speak, I have another email from my nephew, Mark, but I should save that for the main segment because I didn't want to necessarily put it in the news segment. But anyway, then the main segment is kind of my takeaway from conference for the most part, but then I also give some recaps of my mission because it has actually been 16 years ago today that I entered the MTC to start my two-year mission in Mexico, but I was in the MTC in Provo for two months, and then from there, it was 22 months in Mexico, and I kind of let you know how that went, and not obviously the whole mission, but just kind of like the groundwork that was laid for me to really have a nice foundation. Anyway, from there, we get going, or I close out the pod, and... uh, Call it a day. Anyway, I hope you all enjoy it. Glad you're back. And uh, we'll kick it over to the next segment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. (laughs) Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not drinking. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. (laughs) I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, Yes, the Mormons Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. Okay, let's start us off here with news of the week. All right, so first week of October, we just had general conference. This is going to be basically an episode around conference. I'm flying solo this time. And honestly, that's mainly, it's, I actually still have like a good list of people to go through, to get through, and some great suggestions by the audience that I always appreciate. 
a lot of times it just comes down to the fact that I still have a full-time job. I still have some hobbies and whatnot, and I get busy, I get tied up, and so I'm not able to exactly get to these on a certain timeline. But I should probably start banking some episodes. problem is a lot of these you want to be timely, right? So you don't want to necessarily just bank an episode and have it be outdated a month later. But anyway, so... Moving forward on this uh, for this new segment, uh, big news that we just I just heard uh, is that Giselle and Tom Brady supposedly hiring divorce lawyers, so it could be an end of an era as we know it. Now, this isn't that surprising. I kind of think we saw this coming for the last little bit, and when I say last little bit, I mean in the last couple months, maybe maybe last four or five months even, because Tom Brady obviously we knew he retired last year and then unretired like a week or two later. I don't know if it was that short, but it was a pretty quick turnaround, relatively speaking. Um, did not wait that long. There were whisperings that maybe Giselle was not a big fan of that decision. And then we also know that there was con- kind of some things brewing here and there. Now, I don't love talking gossip stuff for celebrities too much, usually. But this one is kind of something imp- not important, but definitely something that uh, I look at and I'm kind of like, oh, dang, that's kind of crazy because Tom Brady was always looked at as not only is he, you know, the best quarterback of all time, no question. I'm a big fan of his personally. Uh, he's kind of been looked at as kind of the blueprint of, you know, how to do it right. Now, he had been, uh, I don't know if he'd been married before, but he he did impregnate uh, another actress before he married Giselle, before he'd even met Giselle, from what I understand. And it was not the best look for him because she was pregnant and then uh, he bounced and basically left her for Giselle. We do not know the dynamic of how that played out. Um, I want to say it was uh, Monahan, Bridget Moynihan. Bridget Moynihan is who we had left. Who you may know her from the Recruit. Um, I believe she's in that movie. She's in a few other movies, but that's the one I know her from. Anyway, um, so we knew we knew this that this maybe was coming within the last few months. But what we what, what I had looked at kind of a, maybe a little bit deeper than most was the fact that they clearly did not share political ideological beliefs. Now, how do we know that? That's because Tom Brady was kind of an open supporter of Donald Trump back in 2016. He wrote him that letter that Trump then read out, I think, to a Massachusetts crowd as uh, while he was on the campaign trail. It was a letter specifically from Tom Brady, and obviously Trump was very proud of that support, and he was kind of touting that support. Now, that's not that crazy considering the fact that Tom Brady is from Michigan. Michigan kind of vacillates between red and blue. Um... I don't like it, it's been just it's been blue recently, but before that it has gone red before. So it's not crazy to think that somebody coming out of Michigan is a Republican or more on the conservative side of the aisle right now. He was specifically a, a Trump supporter when it was fairly taboo to be a Trump supporter. Not that it's not taboo now. It still kind of is ridiculously so, but whatever. Anyway, um, and then we know when the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl back in 2020, I believe they were not or Tom Brady did not attend the White House and the rumor was is because Giselle did not allow him to. Now, this was 2020 pre-election, so this would have back been back over the summer at some point. They won the Super Bowl back in February 2020, right? So the election hadn't happened yet, Biden hadn't been elected. Um and that was the rumor that Tom Brady was not allowed to attend according to Giselle, like not according to Giselle, but uh it, it since it was maybe her call, he didn't go. Anyway, Take that for what it's worth. It doesn't seem like Giselle's at least very conservative, and it seems like Tom Brady is. Is it shocking that their marriage is culminating in a divorce now? 
I mean, yes, in in some senses, because political differences, ideological differences, don't always result in a divorce, but it certainly doesn't help. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's not at all, but that was just my own thinking that for the last few years, it was like, well, you know, wouldn't be impossible to think that they just essentially, they eventually grow apart. But anyway, so that's where we're at. They have now hired divorce lawyers, according to the recent news update there. Other thing I saw recently, Kanye West, now goes by Ye, I believe, officially as of this year. Uh, changed his name to that. And Candace Owens were in a France fashion show, his fashion show in France, wearing White Lives Matter shirts. Kanye was wearing a black one, and Candace was wearing a white one, and they both said White Lives Matter. It's been a big uproar in that, obviously. I... I'm not the biggest fan of that move. Obviously, I'm not a fan of the Black Lives Matter movement because I think it had gone about very irresponsibly and for a few reasons, right? I think it didn't. they didn't really have clearly defined rules. Also, the genesis of it, when you went to their website and they talked about kind of like completely uh, changing the definition of what it means to be in it. Like they, they wanted to overhaul the nuclear family. Like that was part of their platform. And... A lot of these people were from kind of the communist school of thought. And it's like, well, yeah, of course I'm not for that then. I mean, I, it, it, it's one thing to have a movement that says we shouldn't have, you know, institutional violence against black people, which whether or not you subscribe to that is another thing. But of course, everybody agrees that there should not be institutional targeting of black people. Everybody agrees with that. But then it encompassed way more than that. And so the Black Lives Matter movement became way more than just, uh, a, you know, attacking that institutional or supposed institutional attack on black people, right? I'm saying all supposed because it's one thing if you believe it, it's another thing if you don't. But anyway, my point being is that they start to then share their ideologies, their political leanings and all that. And I didn't agree with any of them. So I'm like, okay, of course I'm not for Black Lives Matter. Now, I don't think the answer to that is White Lives Matter. All Lives Matter, I, from what I understand, is a racist thing to say. I don't understand that either because obviously I do believe all lives matter, but they think that flies in the face of Black Lives Matter. The Blue Lives Matter movement, that matters a lot to me because officers are killed a lot in the line of duty and it would be nice to lower that and minimize that as much as it would to be minimized. Uh, unfairly targeted victims of police violence, whether they're black or white, brown, whatever. I don't care. Anyway, so the White Lives Matter shirts, they don't really sit that well with me and Candace Owens kind of does that. She, she likes to be more it's not so much that she's bold i mean i appreciate her being bold in a lot of senses but this is beyond that this is like she's it's like shock and awe and it's and it's more it's more like a tabloid approach to things and i don't love that so that's my stance there i i, I am generally a fan of candace owens i think kanye west probably needs mental health help personally i don't think he's doing too well there you hear a lot of things about people close to him talking about his mental health and how it's not going too well he's been pretty open about that from what i understand but Candace Owens, I kind of go back and forth. She's hot and cold with me. Sometimes she nails it, I think, and then other times she doesn't so much. And this seems kind of like a swing and a miss in that sense. But anyway, moving on to the biggest part of the news segment for me. Uh, apparently, I'm homophobic. And chances are, you're homophobic too. Because according to Billy Eichner, I think that's how you pronounce it, Eichner, E-I-C-H-N-E-R, I believe, who's one of the producers and the star of this new gay rom-com Right? I don't know if gay needs a qualifier or not, but whatever. That's kind of a big part of this story. Um, it's called Bros, which is kind of a funny name, which I think, honestly, they should make a sitcom about 
uh, personal trainers at a gym. Maybe call that one bros or not because you could have female personal trainers as well. I think that'd be a hilarious setting for a rom-com. I can't believe that hasn't been done yet. If you want to take that idea, go for it. Anyway, you may recognize Billy Eichner. I'm just going to go with Eichner. I think that's what it is. I'm not positive. From Parks and Recreation. That's where I was first introduced to him. He played the angry Eagleton government worker who became more prominent towards the end season. The end seasons. Like I think it was the last one or two seasons of the show. He kind of seemed more like a sassy gay caricature than anything else. And honestly, he wasn't horrible in that show, if you ask me. He had his funny moments, but he probably was my like. It was kind of my first exposure to the true definition of extra, as we hear now a lot. I just didn't know that yet because he was very extra in that role. It seemed a little bit weird, but he wasn't terrible. And honestly, I, I, there were sometimes he kind of made me laugh if I remember right. But he also does this thing called Billy on the Street, and I think that's where he really got famous. He goes around and harasses people essentially to play trivia games for money or something. I don't really know. Um, the few times I've seen it, he's really yelling so loudly and quickly, I can't really process everything that he's saying. However, to promote bros, I did see this one. He went around and asked random people if they were going to go see the movie Bros. Um, I think he introduced it like kind of as a rom-com, like, we go see it. And it was these two guys in, in New York City. I think it was New York City. They had initially said yes. They're like, yeah, sure, we'll go see it. Because I think he was like, I'm in it. Why are you going to go see it? And I produced it. Are you going to go see it? And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll go see it. And then when he qualified it saying it was a homosexual rom-com, they were like, uh, nah, and they like hesitated. And of course he got ticked off and he just left him there. Cause that was, that was a really kind of funny part of his, of his, uh, little clip there promoting that. Anyway, um, Billy Eichner had this to say, and these are direct quotes from him. He says, any, this is like tweets that he's given. Anybody who isn't a homophobic weirdo should go see bros tonight. You will have a blast. So the inverse of that, obviously meaning that if you don't go see it, you're a homophobic weirdo. And before the movie started, he allegedly said, and this is alleged, right? So because people have, somebody put this out there somewhere, so I don't know how this is verified, but I mean, the sentiment seems like it could very much be true. That he does not want conservatives, especially those that voted for the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, obviously, and their associates, so any Republicans? I don't know what he means by that, I guess. It's a little vague. To see the film... Even conservatives who identify as being part of the LGBTQ plus community as he views them as traitors. So let me get this straight. We have now moved the goalposts so much that homophobia now encompasses people that don't want to see a romantic comedy movie about two homosexual men? We've gone from the satanic murderous perpetrators of Matthew Shepard, right? The 1998 University of Wyoming student who was brutally tortured and murdered for being gay, right? That's what the Laramie Project, that play, is about. Being homophobic, right? That's homophobic. We all can agree on that. To now anyone who doesn't want to see a movie about two gay guys falling in love, now that is homophobic? No matter the fact that overwhelming majority, as in 90% of the population in the U.S., are is heterosexual, but that probably roughly the same amount of traditional rom-com viewers are female. Probably 90%, maybe even more. So traditionally, men don't go see rom-coms. Even less, heterosexual men don't go see rom-coms. So this is a niche of a niche. And Billy Eichner is surprised that this movie averaged about $1,500 per theater the weekend it was released? Last weekend? Seriously? 
All right, so delusions aside, the main problem I have is this constant changing of the goalposts that we can feel justified in our anger. Calling everyone homophobic for not wanting to see a gay movie completely demeans the actual meaning of homophobia. Homophobia does exist. Nobody's saying it doesn't. And it's gross and has no place in society, right? But applying that same term to those who don't merely want to see a movie is not just lazy, it's irresponsible. We've seen the same rules applied to racism, especially as of recently, and that's where we have the two sides grow more apart. Everyone agrees racism is bad. Everyone agrees homophobia is bad. But we disagree on how we define these terms. And until we put an end to the irresponsible applications like Billy Eichner's definition of homophobia, don't count on these sides coming together anytime soon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so now that we're on to kind of the main segment, right? Still flying solo for you all here this week. Um, I I was actually going to share, because it's more kind of newsy to me, to share my nephew's emails. Mark, uh, good old Mark. Uh, I was going to do that in the first new segment, but it got a little intense. And I was like, eh, it seems a little weird to transition right into a funny email from my nephew on his mission in the Mexico MTC. So anyway... This is part two of that. I don't know how many parts we're going to have. Hopefully we'll have more. Obviously we'll have some more. I don't know how regular it'll be. I don't know if he knows I'm reading this on the podcast, but I'm just going to keep it that way. Um, so anyway, this is this is uh, the, the second installment of the emails from my nephew Mark on his mission. And you'll see if this is your first time hearing this, you'll see why. What is up everyone, period. No question mark. I love that. We're going to start with some disclaimers. After a conversation with my father, that's my brother actually, I realized I was spreading false truths into everyone's hearts. <laughs> it's like, there was no canon. It's almost like he's writing scripture. I love it. This is like Alma the Younger writing down his first couple things. Where he's like, how do I do this? Also, most of the stuff I wrote was fake. But based on reality, it is called a simile. This email is not funny. <laughs> I beg to differ and you'll see why. Also, thank you to everyone who emailed back. It is so much fun to see how you're doing and hear from you. I will try to respond if I don't be offended. If I don't, don't be offended and keep writing. Sorry, I didn't have a comma there, so it's not a natural pause for me. If I don't, don't be offended and keep writing. Time is scarce here. Speaking of scarcities, this brings me to food again. More bad news. Nothing improved this week. I have lost weight and my pants don't fit. He's already a pretty skinny kid from what I understand. Even the tight ones, mom. Also, I ran out of dum-dums, but not ibuprofen, so that's good. That's in reference to his last email where he's just been basically eating ibuprofen and dum-dums. One time we found packets of peanut butter. They have never been here before, and I haven't seen them them since. I put these on tacos, watermelon, Skittles, pineapple, and anything else I could find. All of it was good. I was able to bring four back to my apartment, so when I get hunger pangs, it's no big deal. Also, my companion was eating dinner one night but did not read the sign that said it contained nuts. 
After I gave him mouth to mouth, we ran back to the apartment and grabbed his EpiPen and Benadryl. I was thirsty, so I had some too. <laughs> I forgot some of this. Some of these parts of the email. This is gold. Also, this week, an elder in my house had some clippers. After rebuzzing my own head, me and Elder Millet buzzed ten other elders in our house. There was hair everywhere, and the socks I was wearing at the time are no longer with me. My cut makes me look like a prisoner, which is not cool, because I've noticed a severe decline in conversations with hermanas. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Spanish language, hermanas means sisters, which would be the female version of an elder, right? Speaking of hermanas, they are still crazy. I'm pretty sure they are. They, there are kids who receive these emails, so I won't go <laughs> get into details. Also, we aren't allowed in the arboles anymore, the forest, the trees. Arboles means trees, so that's sick. Also, I got pants today in front of people. That was not very fun. We took the attribute test and preached my gospel this week, and I found out I have no patience, humility, charity, or obedience! Exclamation <laughs> point. Other than that, nothing really happened, I don't think. I watched the MTC president go out of the bathroom without washing his hands, so that was cool. <laughs> I actually saw a prominent member. This is a side note from Harbor. I saw a prominent member of the Utah sports media do the same thing. It was disturbing. Anyway, back to his email. My language is pretty eh, but I do know how to say I will kill you if you don't accept the gospel, so that's cool. I played baseball today, and after I hit a spike ball into a light fixture, my bat got confiscated, and we can't play anymore. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's it. You can email me with questions or concerns. And then he sent the emails, and he had emails of legit uh, them all with buzzed heads. So good job by you, Mark, in getting your whole district, I think, to shave their heads. A bunch of shirtless elders as well in one picture. Not sure why, but anyway, maybe that was after they all buzzed their head. So good job by him. It seems like he's doing great things out there. But that actually reminds me, today is the 16-year anniversary of me entering the MTC back in 2006, right? That'd be 16 years. October 4, 2006, I entered the MTC, the Provo MTC specifically. Kind of crazy, right? Um, I joke a lot about not having progressed at all since then but honestly i certainly have obviously on this my rare time of you know being serious in a segment like this i mainly joke about that due to not being nor ever having been married i have since then right since my mission i have two and seven eighths of a degree i have a great job i have a home and more importantly an even more firm testimony of the gospel and because this is conference this last weekend, I do want to take a moment to talk more a little bit about my mission. I'll take us out as an opportunity. 16 years since then, since I entered, right? And almost exactly 14 years since I returned. Um, I, the, My mission really did help set a foundation for my faith. But it hasn't been anything that I've relied on since then. I had a lot of spiritual experiences on my mission and specifically moments that helped me confront the real reasons why I chose to even serve a mission, right? And that that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting part of this because I don't know if this is a Utah thing, but when you're growing up in the church, at least for me in Utah, and having a lot of friends that were in the church with you, I'm the youngest of eight kids. I had four siblings before me, three brothers and one sister set a great example of going on a mission and a lot of other friends before me going on missions. So for me, it was like, well, of course you're going to go, right? I mean, it's peer pressure at that point indirectly, but it is peer pressure still because you're like, if you don't, you're going to be that guy. That's not the best reason to go. There's no question about that. 
but it was still a reason and it was good enough for me. I didn't necessarily look forward to going on my mission, but oh my goodness, am I glad I did. And one thing that happened to me that was a big turning point in my mission, and I was fortunate that it came early on, was this was about, I believe, two weeks into the field because what had happened was that I had started in a trio. There were three of us that were companions, and the reason being was because one of my companions early on, one of my first ones, was leaving early. He was going back to school to start the semester, the the winter semester back at uh, BYU. And he was actually from Guatemala, my other missionary companion. My other companion was from Mexico. And so both native language speakers, but the one from Guatemala spoke English perfectly, like almost better than I did. So he was really pumped to get home, talk about BYU and all that stuff. So for two weeks, I was kind of like in this weird position where it's like, yeah, I'm starting the mission, but I this guy wants to talk about home. And you know what? I'm going to indulge him because I do too, because I'm freaking, I'm missing home. I'm, I'm in this new foreign land and it's scary. I'm going to be here for the next two years, basically. And that two-week buffer was a lot of distractions with that elder that was leaving early. Not early, like just to start, you know, not anyway, whatever, you get it. And the other missionary companion of mine did not speak English very well. He kind of understood it, but he really didn't speak it too well. And so he and I didn't really jive as well those first two weeks. But what happened was that when that one had left, his parents came to pick him up. They kind of toured the mission and then they bounced and he got dropped off at BYU to start that winter semester there. I I remember that night where I was like, okay, the realization had just set in that it's like, wait a second, this is actually going to be really hard. I don't have Elder De Leon here from Guatemala to help indulge me in everything. And I didn't have that distraction. It was real. Like it was Sunday night and we were on the streets of Campeche, Mexico, which is a, a state in the Yucatan Peninsula. And we're just trying to find people to talk to. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> I, I don't like this. And I remember specifically, we were in the streets talking with this. We just found this random guy and my companion being the zealous elder that he was. And I say that in a good way. He was. He was zealous. And he was zealous for the right reasons. And I appreciate that. I still didn't get along particularly well with with him. But he did set some good examples. And he was just like, I'm, we're just going to go. We're just going to be missionaries. And he was good at that. And as we were sitting there, I remember getting really emotional, just thinking like, I don't want to be here right now. I really actually want to go home. And I am so fortunate that this happened as early as it did in my mission. But this voice came in my head and it said, well, you're not here for yourself. And all of a sudden I was kind of like tied back to the whole, the reasons why I left. The reasons why I went on a mission were because of my surroundings, because of the people around me. I didn't want to be stigmatized as the elder that, or the guy that never went on a mission. And it was easy to kind of embrace this idea of like, okay, yeah, go on a mission and you'll go leave for two years. You'll serve a great mission. You'll come back and you'll be this changed, wonderful person, right? Because that's what I saw in a lot of guys that came back from their missions right away. They're like, oh my gosh, they're just transformed into this awesome person that I want to become. But here was the catch. It's that... When I was told that by that voice coming into my head saying, you're not doing this for yourself, it realized, it made me realize that I only came on the mission for me to change. It's like, you're doing this for everybody else. You're literally doing this to serve everybody you come into contact with, whoever that may be. And I got emotional because I was like, okay, the realization of how hard this is actually going to be is starting to set in. But then I also got emotional because I was comforted in that moment too. Where it's like, now that I know the real reason, I can at least 
start to embrace that and make that my path instead of just being like, how am I going to change? How am I going to become this different person? So that's what I started to embrace. The next morning, I wake up and not much had changed, quite frankly. I woke up and I'm like, this still is really hard. I still don't really want to be here. But you know what? That morning, it was a little bit easier than the day before. And the next morning was even slightly easier than the day before that. And just from there, gradually, I became more and more about, like, I I embraced the real reasons why we should serve missions, which is to serve everybody else. And if we're lucky, if we're lucky, God will allow us to transform into somebody better than we were before. But that's not a requirement, or that's not... I guess I shouldn't say that's not an immediate reward for serving a mission. It's not, we don't serve missions so that we'll become changed people. We serve missions to serve others. And if so, if we happen to be so blessed and fortunate, God will allow us to become different through that process, which, you know what, most of the time he is, I would like to say. But anyway, as I had said, it wasn't based in that fact. I'd gone through the motions, getting into going, 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 gearing up for the mission, right? And I was leaning on the faith of those people around you. But since the mission and talking about the atonement and talking about faith and obedience and all that, I was able to hold on to those tidbits, those components of the gospel. And when I was actually confronted with a fork in the road later on in life, that's when I was able to really understand what this is all for. And more specifically, a little bit more about the atonement. And that came through my own personal confrontations of sin, right? Of embracing a sinful lifestyle at points in my life that then gave me this, basically this dichotomy, this dichotomous situation, this fork in the road. And it's that sin I had committed. I was living in an area of dissonance. That the, the sin that I committed kind of brought that like zone of dissonance in my head between what I grew up believing and even knew deep down was truth as opposed to how I acted, right, which was living in sin, and what I pretended I wanted, which was also living in sin. And I've spoken about this before on the podcast. That dissonance required me to either accept this new way of living and rejecting the foundations I was raised on or rejecting this new life I was dabbling in and reaccepting the foundations I grew up on. And because I knew I couldn't lie to myself about the only true form of happiness I've ever felt, which is eternal happiness, I had to re-accept the gospel into my life and embrace the atonement. And that's, that's my experience. And my mission really did help set that tone. I don't, I don't doubt that one second. That's not obviously requisite in all this. You don't have to serve a mission to come to this conclusion. I'm not saying that, but it was very impactful for me personally. And that's also obviously not the only way to build your own foundation and continue to build a strong constitution of testimony in the gospel, right? But it was my way. It was my own personal way. Everybody has their own personal way. That's the amazing thing about the atonement. It doesn't require you to sin in order to be to, to re-examine and build your testimony the true way, but it does make it possible. And that's also why I love the gospel. I know it's true, and I will re- never reject that knowledge. And I was encouraged to kind of talk about this through the messages of General Conference, and that's why I wanted to share that specific component of my mission, and this being my 16-year anniversary from when I started my mission. And I kind of want to share that with all of you. We are encouraged to share through social media. I mean, this is kind of a form of social media. And so there is me sharing it 
Now, I'm going to take a little break, and then I'll come back and talk about my main conference takeaways at least immediately. All right, so my ultimate takeaway from general conference, and this is what it is for now, right? These always evolve. I get it. People have their own takeaways, and then sometimes those change over time. Um, Kind of probably depends on where we're at and which state of uh, life we're in with our faith and whatnot, but I think it all comes down to, and, and I believe this scripture was quoted more than once, was Doctrine and Covenants 58, 26 through 27. And that scripture is, For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same as a slothful and not a wise servant, wherefore he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. And the reason why that stood out to me is because I think what we're going to start seeing here soon is a polarizing effect on the church with the church now taking a stance of govern yourselves, which we saw that more, like all the more obvious in the new For Strength of Youth pamphlet. I think that's what it's called, right? It's a little bit more hands-off. It's a like it's kind of in line with the temple questions now, which it's a little bit like, hey, what are your thoughts and what are your feelings about how you should enter in the temple, right? It, it actually puts the onus on you and your intellectual honesty, which is something I've been talking about for a while. You have to be honest with yourself. If you're not, you're screwed. That's where it all starts. And if there's one tick of dishonesty then that can have reverberations down the line that can be really damaging for you, right? It can throw off a whole system. Now, what I mean by this is that what the church is doing is saying, you know what, I think it's time now to let them prove their own testimony and not just checking off boxes that we give them day to day. They just need to do it on their own, right? That's what that's 26 or 27 in DNC 58. It's not meet that he should command in all things, right? Because that is a slothful and not a wise servant. We should be anxiously engaged in a good cause because we need to do it on our own free will. We need to use our agency. That's what we fought for. We fought for agency. Now we have it. Now we need to use it. So how does that transform? Now, you kind of saw this in some other excerpts from other talks. Now, I'm going to share a few of those. Elder Bednar you and I ultimately can choose to be chosen. He said this Sunday morning. You and I ultimately can choose to be chosen through the righteous exercise of our moral agency. President Nelson also Sunday morning said, I plead with you now to take charge of your own testimony of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Work for it. Nurture it so that it will grow. Own your testimony, right? You be the respo- reason why your testimony exists. Elder Cook Sunday afternoon said, We each need a personal testimony of God's work and the seminal role of Jesus Christ. And then President Nelson also said this, which I think is worth pointing out. It's not necessarily along the lines of what I'm talking about now, but it's something that stood out to me because obviously I think he knows something coming down the line. My dear brothers and sisters, so many wonderful things are ahead. In coming days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. Can you imagine, by the way, just a second, I'm not done with the quote, but just think for a second of what that would mean in the Book of Mormon. If that was a verse out of the Book of Mormon, it's like Nephi speaking from the tower, you will, in the coming days, days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. The the atonement has already happened. 
So what more could be in store for us? That is a powerful sentence. That is something that would be a whole chapter dedicated to that in a Book of Mormon. A Book of Mormon, that sounds weird. But in the Book of Mormon, right? If you were to put this like, this is the Book of Mormon of our day. This is a huge chapter that President Nelson is speaking of right now. And then he continues and he says, Between now and the time he returns with power and great glory, he will bestow countless privileges, blessings, and miracles upon the faithful. So with all that combined, it is up to us to place ourselves in that position, to be among the faithful that receive those privileges, blessings, and miracles. And it's very powerful. It's pretty emotional. But they're kind of saying, you know what? I think gone are the days where we're going to tell you exactly how to live so that way you can just say, yes, I'm living that way. And it's kind of like you're gritting your teeth and just getting through it. No, now it's up to you, your agency, and your desires to do this the right way. And it's interesting because you're already starting to see people not be satisfied with the changes, but for the weirdest reasons. There was this Instagram post I saw where this woman talked about all her issues with the old For Strength of Youth pamphlet and how the new one didn't do enough to counteract all that. She thinks that it should be even more hands-off, I guess. I'm not sure. Or that it should do more to mitigate the damages that the first one had done because how it made certain people feel a certain way. Now, I'm not saying that it was perfect, obviously, but... The, the desire, it's, it's weird to have a desire that you want to be told what to do constantly, but it's a whole other thing to, to, wanna, to already have a certain way of living in mind and want to be told to live that way. And if you're not, then you're upset. I, I mean, I, I just don't get it. Like, I, I don't get why they don't say, listen, we have our agency. I'm just going to live this way and I'm just going to do it my way. Okay, fine. That's fine. I view that as more of a terrestrial, maybe terrestrial way of living. And that's your ceiling. Good luck with that. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. That's, then maybe I am. But all I'm saying is we have our agency for a reason. We fought for this. It is precious. And if we don't use it in the way that gets us closer personally to our Father in Heaven, to Christ, His atonement, and everything He's done for us, then what's the point of all this? Why are we even here? Why did we even fight for this in the first place? And that's what I hope to do. I hope to continue forward, taking advantage of the atonement, taking advantage of my agency, and really listening to what President Nelson is saying, because I want to be counted among the faithful. There's a lot there, but really only I can answer for that, and I will, and that's what I plan on doing. And I'd be curious to hear what your takeaways are from this conference. If you would be so kind to share those with me, I would love to see them. I look forward to hearing any feedback that I get from that and for anybody's thoughts. I love you all. Thanks for listening once again. We'll see you all next week. Takes time.